Please turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 14. We pick up where we left off last week. And before we get there, just two, two announcements. If you have children, zero to three, the creche is open if you would like to make use of that in the back of the building. And also, uh, the deacons are telling me that actually the pump is on with the, and there's water in the tank so we shouldn't actually have a problem with the fact that there's no water coming in. So feel free to use the, the bathrooms. Acts chapter 14 from verse 21. Uh, we're going to go all the way to verse 35 of chapter uh, 15. If you're wondering why we're doing such a large passage, uh, the person to blame for that is Percy. Because two weeks ago with growth group, Percy started listing all the people that weren't married before we started the book of Acts, and now they're married and some have children. So he started listing and showing me we've been in this book for too long, so blame him for the large chunks. Um, but no, in, in, in reality, this, 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 this is a big unit that we... We need to look at at once, and so I'm going to read the entire thing at the beginning just so that we can get into, get, in, get our minds into it before we exposit it. So let me read for you from Acts 14 from verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And when they had passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Well, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much uh, debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, 
You know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they had finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take them from a people, to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, and the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of, gen of the Gentiles who turn to God, but we should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Well, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. Brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us, and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no such instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter, and when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, 
teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. This is the reading of God's word. Well, friends, the the question of how one is saved, the question of how one is to be reconciled with God, is at the heart of the book of Acts. The book of Acts, of course, exists as the bridge from the times of the Jews to the times of the Gentiles. It's It's a bridge book between the old and the new. In the book of Acts, we see how the gospel was to be preached from the Jews in Jerusalem all the way to the end of the earth. And this requirement to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth is entirely new to the book of Acts. It had never been spelled out in as clear terms as it is spelled out in the book of Acts. There were were pictures of it, there were murmurings of it in the Old Testament, seeds of it in the Old Testament, but in in the book of Acts, it comes to the fore in a very real way. You also have to remember that the Lord Jesus himself in the four Gospels uh, he, he, he had no mandate to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Do you remember that? He said himself that his mandate was to preach to the lost sheep of Israel. So his, his duty as a prophet to Israel was to Israel, not to the Gentiles. He said that himself. But the Lord Jesus, through his spirit, moves the mission to the Gentiles in the book of Acts. Now, this understanding of the book of Acts is crucial because we understand that the book of Acts is not necessarily a book to be repeated. Okay, so the things that we see in Acts are not to be repeated. They were, they were forming a part of that exchange, that time from the old to the new, and they settled the new doctrine in its time. And once the new doctrine is settled, it then continues, and the book of Acts does not need to be repeated. In the book of Acts, we find the things that were happening as God authenticated his new message from the old times of the Jews to the times of the Gentiles. And while there was astonishment at that time, so as there's, there's the, the apostles are preaching and great wonders are being done, there is astonishment at the miracles. In the same way, there was a confusion to the full extent of this new mission. So there's astonishment at the miracles. Wow, so this is truly coming from God. But also there are questions. So how far does this go? How far do the Gentiles get engrafted in here? How can the Gentiles be saved? They were not a part of God's people. How can they be saved? How will they be accepted? What must change in their lives for them to be accepted as a part of of the people of God. And what is it that is required of them for them to be clean in the eyes of the God of Israel? You remember, of course, the backdrop of all of this. The backdrop of all of this is the book of Leviticus that we went through a few months ago. How every part of life in Israel was regulated by the book of Leviticus. Don't eat this. Don't eat that. Don't dress like that. Don't go there. Don't touch this. If something's like this, don't don't come into contact with it for the purpose of being ceremonially clean at the temple worship. So now there is confusion and there is commotion. How then do we interact with the Gentiles who don't have the book of Leviticus, who are living in their lives culturally in a manner that we do not recognize as the Jews? 
There were those who were confused at this question, and when there were those who argued, they, they, they pretended to not be confused at all. For them, the answer was clear. The Gentiles must follow the law of Moses. The Gentiles effectively must become Jews for them to be accepted in the worship of God. And in our text this morning, we find the issue being settled once and for all at the Council of Apostles and Elders in Jerusalem. This council that convened here in the text in front of us met, discussed, opened the Word of God, came with testimonies, and the matter was settled once and for all, the relationship of the Gentiles to the Jews in the new era, in the, in the new uh, in, in the kingdom of God after the Lord Jesus Christ has risen again. And really what the council settled is the age-old question. How can a person be saved? How is a person to be saved? So that it really is the question. Even as we, we go through this text now and understand all these corners, keep that in the mind. The, the main question here is, how is a person saved? How is a Jew saved? And how is a Gentile saved? We will look at our text under four headings. We'll look at this council under four headings. First, the occasion of the council. Second, the substance of the council, that is the meat. What was it that needed to be discussed? Thirdly, we will look at the testimonies at the council. And finally, we will look at the resolution. And after that, we'll seek to, seek, we'll seek to find some applications for us. So firstly, the occasion of the council. Well, as we read there from verse 21 all the way to the end of chapter 14, the occasion, of the, the occasion is just that, what we have said, that there are Gentiles who are being saved, and the, it's not just a small amount of Gentiles, it is a huge amount of Gentiles. When you read uh, through there, the, the Gentiles at Lystra, uh, at Derb, at Iconium, at Antioch, they are being saved in their numbers. There's Gentiles in Pamphylia, in Pisidia, all the way through, in Perga, in Atalia. There are Gentiles who are being saved. And it's not like how it used to happen when it was uh, during the times of the Jews. So you remember, of course, we had Cornelius. There were men like Cornelius who were Gentiles and chose to become Jews because they wanted to follow the God of Israel. But that happened very sparsely, just one guy here, one guy there, a few guys here and there. It was not something where whole cities had congregations of Gentiles, where you had a whole synagogue full, mostly, of Gentiles. It was unseen before. This thing is causing commotion because there's Gentiles being saved. But it's not just Gentiles who are being saved, it's also Jews. Jews were following the law of Moses. And these people are being saved, and Paul and Barnabas are putting them together. Paul and Barnabas are not separating them. You guys, once you guys have eaten your lizards, go and sit over there. And once you Jews have eaten your clean food, sit here. No, they're not separating them. They are putting them together. They are calling them brothers and sisters. They are making them intermingle with each other. It's not only Jews and Gentiles who are being saved, but it's also the proselytes. So there were those who were, in the past, they were born Gentiles, born to paganism, 
Then they converted to Judaism and had themselves circumcised and changed culturally to live like Jews. They're also now being saved, leaving Judaism, joining Christendom, and wondering about their place. There is a massive smorgasbord of people meeting together as the gospel is working powerfully. And as these people are worshiping together weekly, you can already start thinking about the kinds of issues that are coming to the fore. The Gentiles eat food that has been sacrificed to idols because that's the food that was being sold at the market. The Gentiles are eating food that, that had meat that was strangled, which was restricted. Things, those were things that were never to be done by, by the Jews. And so there is, there's, there's, there's a question that's arising as to how this is going to happen. But the issue really comes to the fore when we see these people in, in chapter 15, verse 1. But some men come down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This now brings the issue right to the head. Before, when we're reading before, all we're hearing is joy. While the people are mixing, they're all rejoicing together at the Spirit of God that's working among them. They are, tr they are obviously still thinking and wrestling with how do we interact with each other, but generally they all are loving one another and they're all expecting, they're all calling each other brother and figuring out how do they interact. But these guys travel all the way from Judea and they come down to Antioch and they arrive in Antioch and they say, unless you are circumcised in accordance to the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Understand what these men are coming from Judea saying. This is what they're saying. They're saying, you, right now, uh, Gentiles in Antioch, you're not saved. You see, you see it's, it's implied. Because, the Gen because Paul and Barnabas had not circumcised them, right? Paul and Barnabas had not made them to live like Jews. So because they are not made to live like Jews currently, it means that they're not saved. So all the work that had been done... All the power of the Holy Spirit that has been there, all the missionary activity that we have seen going from Antioch, traveling from there throughout Asia Minor as we followed Lystra, Iconium, Pisidian, Antioch, all of that these men are calling invalid. Because you have, for any of you to have the Spirit of God, for any of you to have interaction with God, you need to first be chopped up. You have to be circumcised. He's saying that your experience that you have experienced currently of God, it has not been salvific. Yes, maybe something has happened here. We appreciate that you guys want to come and worship the God of Israel, but it, it hasn't really done anything to you. You are still dead in your sins. It has not been a salvific interaction with God that you are having. Furthermore, this is what that they are actually saying, this is, and this is crucial. What they are saying is this. You guys, because you are Gentiles and you're not circumcised according to the law of Moses, you are still unclean. You are unfit to interact with the God of Israel. You're unclean. You're filthy. Do you honestly think that the Holy Spirit of God can come into you while you're eating food that's strangled, food that's polluted by idols? Do you honestly think that someone like you, living in the way that you're living, the Holy Spirit is in that person? 
No, your non-Jewish cultural practices are filthy. You must become Jews, and then you'll have a real experience of the Holy Spirit. I hope you understand this is serious. Whatever was happening before was, it was, a, was, was a, a discomfort, people trying to figure it out. But this one, this is a categoric statement. What you have experienced is not real. You, ha- you have no Holy Spirit among you. You guys are just dead in your sins. The only way for you to pass from death to life is through Moses' circumcision and everything that comes with following Moses. And so Paul and Barnabas having seen the work of God uh, among them, knowing, especially Paul, knowing that he is an apostle chosen by the Lord Jesus to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, opposed them sharply. Look at verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the elders about this particular question. Paul and Barnabas debate with them strongly. Paul, of course, is is the, the apostle who understood very clearly what is it that is required for a person to be saved. And so they attack they 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 strongly oppose them publicly and it is no small matter. Look at how Paul Luke writes there. It's no small dissension. This was a cataclysmic we're not going to go to sleep. This is going this is an issue. You cannot come here and say that people need to follow Moses for them to be saved. And so that the brothers at Antioch decide that this matter should not be settled here at Antioch ostensibly here at the Gentile church, but this matter should be settled at Christian headquarters, which is Jerusalem. And so they send them, they send Paul and Barnabas and other brothers, they send them up to Jerusalem and they say, go there to the apostles, because the rest of the apostles are in Jerusalem, and the elders of the church in Jerusalem, go there and have this discussion and come back to us and tell us what we ought to do, what really is the truth. So really now they're being commissioned to go and have a discussion there. there are, there's something important here that I want you to notice. I'll make note about it later, but I, I want you to notice this. Think about why is it that Antioch sends this matter to be discussed at Jerusalem? Why is it that Antioch does not want to have the debate done here in Antioch and then settled here in Antioch? Why must it be done in Jerusalem? Well, the simple answer is submission. The church in Jerusalem is where the apostles of the Lord are, and so the church at Antioch is showing tremendous tremendous humility. They are understanding that we are a daughter church. We are born from the work in Jerusalem. And so we cannot just discuss these things here. It must go back to where the apostles of the Lord are, where the Lord preached, where the Lord was walking, those who were eyewitnesses, it must go there and must be settled among them. Just in passing by, this issue of submitting to a church and submitting to the authority, the, 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 the church in history, and even the church as it exists now, is a very important matter that I think has been lost today. This issue of submission to a church has been lost. I'll give you an example. A few weeks ago on the church's Info at Heritage uh, email account, somebody emailed us 
uh, and said, um, and said yeah, I'm a powerful prophet. I'm, I'm, I'm doing work around here, and I'd like to meet with your elders. I want to tell them, because I'm, I'm I'm, I've been commissioned by God, and, and I want to work uh, and do work around this area. I want to meet with your elders. Uh, and, and give them, he, he said, I'll give them the deposit that has been given to me. I responded, and I said, which church sent you out? Who's your church? Where did you, who, who, who's in authority over you? Who's, who's above you telling you whether you can go around telling other people which way they should exist? Do you know what I received? Crickets. Nothing. That's very normal today. A guy just wakes up one morning, one morning and says, I'm something. Has not been tested by anybody, submits to no one. He is a law unto himself. And then he just decides that he can just take his jacket and go blowing people. Because he woke up the one morning and he feels that way. The issue of submission to not only historic Christianity, but even Christianity at local church today is huge and vital. Do not take church membership lightly. Especially those of you who are going to become members. You have to understand what it is that you're doing when you want to become members of a local church. You are submitting yourself to the authority of that local church. You're saying, I want this church to hold me accountable. I want to not just act like I'm a lone ranger Christian who has all the answers. I want to submit myself to a body of believers who have the Holy Spirit among them, who are following the word, who will tell me when I'm going askew. Well, that's just, that's just on the side. Let's move on. So that's the occasion. That's the occasion of the, of the council. What is the substance of the council? What is the substance of the matter that is going to be discussed? Well, the, there are two questions primarily here. Uh, there are two questions. Uh, the first question is are Gentiles allowed to be, to be received into the church as Gentiles? In other words, for, a Gentile, for Gentiles to be accepted, can they just be accepted as they are, having not converted first to being a Jew? That's the first question. That's the fundamental question. And the second question that is underneath here is, are Gentiles allowed in as Gentiles? And if they are allowed in as Gentiles, how can we interact with them, those of us who are Jews? How can we now live with them? How can we now have some kind of interaction and intercourse and interaction with them and have, have them at meals and, and have, uh, have, do, live with them in a manner as brothers and sisters? How can that be? The substance is a serious one. The substance is not small. When we're asking, are Gentiles allowed in as Gentiles? The Judaizer party, which is who these guys are in verse 1, the Judaizer party wants to argue that the Gentiles are not allowed in as Gentiles. The argument from their side is that there is no category in which a Jew can interact with a Gentile who is a Gentile. The only way that a Jew can worship and, and be together with, an, with a Gentile is if that Gentile has become a Jew. They're coming with, with their own theology, their own verses uh, to the party with this. And the second issue is also crucial. 
The second issue is how will they interact with each other. And for that, just for context, hold your place. I want you to see Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. And I want you to see uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 is describing an event. This is it's hotly debated as to exactly when this happened, but most likely happened before this council. So this, this matter here that Paul is talking about in Galatians chapter 2 from verse 11 happened uh, before Acts chapter 15. Or at least it happened before the, the account of the issue that's in, in, uh, in Acts chapter 15. Look at what uh, Paul says as he describes Peter's visit uh, to Antioch. So, so at some point, Peter visited Antioch. And this is what Peter did. Verse 11, but when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was condemned. For before certain people came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he was afraid of those of the party of the circumcision. And, also the, and the rest of the Jews also joined in this hypocrisy with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with them in their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not being straightforward with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in the presence of them all, if you, although you are a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you try to compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Do you see the issue? There's first the question of can, you, can they be saved as they are without altering? But then there's also the issue is when they, if they are saved, how will they live? How can they, what are they, what are they supposed to eat? And if they continue eating what they eat and, how, and live how they live, how can we, those of us who are Jews, interact with them? And that's why Paul here is calling out Peter. He's saying, you, Peter, you are living like a Gentile because you believe that the gospel is by faith. You are living like a Gentile, and yet you are forcing the Gentiles to live like Jews. In other words, you're not being straightforward, Peter, with the gospel because you are acting as though you are holding to a standard that you yourself don't hold to. You believe that you're not saved by the law of Moses. So why then are you forcing the Gentiles to live by the law of Moses? That's the substance. Those are the two questions. And that's the substance of the debate. Well, now, let's look at the testimonies. At the, at the, so now the conference is together, verse 5. Let's hear the different testimonies of the different groups that are coming and making representations, and let's hear what they have to say. The first testimony is from the group called those of the Pharisees. Verse 5, but some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So you see what they're saying? They're saying both of the, 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 they're answering both of the questions. Number one, it is necessary to circumcise them. That deals with their acceptance into the community. Number two, it is necessary to order them to live in accordance with Moses. Now who are these people that are rising up and making this representation? Well, Luke tells us that, they were, that when, before they were Christians, 
they were Pharisees. They belonged to the Pharisaical group in, uh, in, in, um, in, Ju- in Jerusalem. And let me ask you this. What are Pharisees known for? What's the thing that the Pharisees are known for? What's the thing that Jesus kept saying, this is what the Pharisees are known for? Hypocrisy, right? They are, they are, they are ex- they, their concern, the Pharisees' concern, the leaven of the Pharisees is to be concerned with how things look. Their concern is about appearances. Throughout Luke's accounts in the Gospels, the Pharisees are concerned that not only should people keep Moses, number one, but also that all the traditions that have been added to Moses must also be kept. The Gentile Christians, you'll remember, are not not only not keeping Moses, they are also not keeping the traditions that have been added by the Pharisees on top of Moses. Do you remember what the Lord Jesus said to the Pharisees? You guys hold up the traditions of men and nullify the word of God by the traditions of men. So these guys, when Luke tells us that they were formerly Pharisees, he's trying to get us to think, these people, all they care about is that how do things look? And it just does not look right. It is not wholesome for a clean-eating Jew to eat with an unclean-eating Gentile. So what the Pharisean party wants is externals. Ensure that these people live like Jews so that we can have order and we can continue in our traditions. So what's the warning here for us, friends? What's the warning for us? Can you, can you see it? Can you divine it? Can you think of it? What's the warning here? Because remember, he says they were formerly Pharisees. So they're not Pharisees anymore. They're believers, right? They're in the church, sitting here like this. But their past is influencing how they think. Do you see this? Their past is influencing the way that, that, the way that they operate is still influenced by what they knew before the Lord saved them. And here's the problem with them. They are holding up their, their past, the ways of the old. They are holding them up above what God is doing. Let me illustrate. Do you remember in Philippians, what did Paul think of his history as a Pharisee? Remember, Paul was a Pharisee, right? Before he was saved. What did Paul think of his history as a Pharisee? What did he call it? It's like dung. It's worthless. I count it as nothing. My past, I count it as empty. My, the fact that I come from the, the tribe of Benjamin, I count it as empty. I count my history as nothing because I'm laying everything at the fact that I am a Christian, yeah? That's what he says in Philippians chapter 3 from verses 1 to about 11. Now, these guys are thinking of their past and they're saying their past is exalted. These guys are looking at the ways that their forefathers did things and they're, you know, when they think about their history, it's just, ah, oh, we should go back to the good old days. For them, their history was amazing. They're not looking at whether or not they, they, right now, is God pleased with their history. Right now, is God sanctioning that? No, they're just, they have these rose-colored glasses about where they come from and how they lived. You too. Be wary. And particularly, 
Be very careful when you prescribe how other people ought to live. Be very careful. When you are prescribing how another person ought to live, it had better not be because of your history, of your personality, of your particularities, of where you come from, of what looks right to you. Are you with me? When you tell another person, this is how you ought to live, you better have chapter and verse. If you tell another person, this is how you ought to live, and you do not have chapter and verse, you are acting like a Pharisee. Dear friends, we must, be, we must not just be people who are about traditions, we must be people who are about the truth. What is God doing? What is God's assessment of my history? What is God's truth about right now and how things ought to, do, ought to be like? And if I cannot find chapter and verse, then I must admit, this is a secondary issue. I should leave it alone. I'm going to let this person eat mopane worms. You know, like, as a Zulu guy, I can't understand it, but I'll let you guys do it. Enjoy your mopane worms. Don't invite me, but enjoy them. Okay. We must ensure that we are not influenced by our past. That's number one. That's the first testimony. The first testimony comes for the Pharisee and party. Well, here's the second testimony. The second testimony comes from the lead apostle himself, the apostle Peter. Look at verse 6. Uh, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter, and after there had been much debate... Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the, word, the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction, he made no difference between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore... Why are you putting God to the test by placing a burden, a yoke, on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But friends, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. That's the testimony of the lead apostle, the great apostle himself, the apostle Peter. And it is interesting when you read what Peter is saying and then you read what Paul said to him in Galatians 2 from verse 11, it's almost the same thing. Just now, Peter's the one who's saying it. So this is one of the reasons why I believe that this event is actually after. Because I believe from the way that Peter is talking here, he learned his lesson. He submitted to what Paul was saying and he internalized it and he's now saying exactly what Paul said to him in a previous occasion. He's now saying it to them. We ourselves believe that we will be saved by faith. There are, there are two elements to Peter's testimony. The first is, you know very well that God gave them the Holy Spirit just as he gave it to us. So the fact that you are debating whether or not can they, can they be accepted is a moot point. Because you know God has already given them the Holy Spirit at my preaching without any circumcision. So you can't do, so you're arguing nothing. God has already done it. 
You can't decide that God can't give the Holy Spirit to them when he already has. You need to deal with what, what it means that God has given them the Holy Spirit. And number two, why would you lay a yoke on them when you or yourself know that neither you nor us nor our fathers in heaven that you love so much, our fathers in the past whom you love so much, you know that none of us were saved by the law. None of us could keep the law. We've never been able to deal with it properly. And you know that you're sitting here only by grace. You, you know that you are only saved by grace, and yet you want to put on other people a yoke that you've not been able to keep. The hypocrisy is astounding. You are telling them to live a certain way, and that way you know does not save. You yourself are hoping in the grace of God, and yet you are telling them to keep the law. This is a warning to, our, to us, friends, for, hypocr for hypocrisy. When you tell people to live a certain way, when you yourself are living another way. See, you know yourself that you are saved by grace. You know yourself that you have issues that are serious and you are relying on the grace of God. And yet you can comfortably, very strongly tell other people, this is the way you go. And if you don't go this way, woo to you. Do you, you, you see the incongruence? What do you rely on? When you've sinned, what do you rely on? You don't rely on your works, do you? Because you've just sinned. You rely on the grace of God. When you go to pray, when you go to pray after you've sinned, do you come to God and say, God, I know I did this one wrong thing, but I did 10 others that are positive. Do you say that? No, you don't. You come to him asking him for forgiveness, relying on what he has done in the Lord Jesus Christ. So then why is it that when somebody else sins, for you, that sin becomes everything about them? Why is it that when they sin, when they fall short of the law, that now you can't extend them the same grace that you yourself rely on, that you yourself hold dear? See, we must not be guilty of double speak. It's, better, it's much better to be consistent. Be consistent. I rely on grace, and I'm going to tell others to also rely on grace. So that when somebody sins against me, I can freely give them grace. And when I see somebody sinning badly, I can tell them, if you repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness for you. And even if they have been a Christian for a long time and they fall in a horrific way, you just tell them, brother, if you just repent and trust in the Lord Jesus, there is forgiveness for you. That is what we are saved by. The answer to the question, how are we saved, is this. We are saved by the grace of God through faith. Klar. Anything, any seasoning on top of that, any aromat there, any soy sauce on top of that, changes the whole thing completely. We are saved by the grace of God. Peter, the great apostle, has, has spoken, and when he speaks, look at verse 12, the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Paul and Barnabas backing up the great apostle by relating to them what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So we could say that the third testimony here is the testimony of God himself. While it seems like God is not speaking, actually God had spoken and he had spoken loudly. 
by the miracles that he had done among the Gentiles to authenticate the message. To authenticate that this message is true. And when the great apostle Peter has spoken and Paul and Barnabas have, have, have relayed what God had did, it shuts the whole conference down. Nobody else is arguing for the other side. One side in the conference has won the battle. And so then we come to the resolution. What is the resolution? Look at verse 13. James, the brother of the Lord Jesus, after they had all finished speaking, stands up and speaks. And he says this, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with his words, the prophets agree, just as it is written. And then he quotes Amos chapter 9 and Jeremiah 12. He puts Amos 9 and Jeremiah 12 together. And he says this, After this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. James is speaking. Some answers both questions and answers them, answers them decisively. The first question, can the Gentiles be saved outside the Mosaic Covenant? James says, yes, they can, because we have heard what God did from what Peter has said, and we also have the testimony of the prophets that it was to be expected that the Gentiles can come in while they are called Gentiles. Not proselytes, not Jews, but Gentiles. That's number one. And then to the question of how can the Jews and the Gentiles interact with one another, Gentile, he, James says this, Gentiles must not be burdened by the law, but they must also be conscientious of the needs of the Jews around them. James asked the Gentiles to be sensitive about four matters and to abstain from them. So he's saying, we're not, we, sh we should not burden you with the law of Moses, but for the sake of you interacting with the Jews that you're interacting with, here are four things that we'd ask you to stay away from so that fellowship between you and the Jews might be maintained. And here are the four things. He says, he says they must have no avoid contact with, uh, with things that have been polluted. So the, the, the controlling word here is polluted, and these four things are the things that have polluted, uh, that, that, are, that, are, uh, that would pollute them in a sense. Not that it actually pollutes them, but it would make a Jew not be, to be able to interact with them. So he says, do not have anything, don't abstain from things that have a pollution from idols so that you can eat with them. He says, do not have contact with anything that has sexual immorality in it. Probably things that are associated with pagan rites and temple prostitution. So if there's a garment that you bought but was at a, at a pagan temple, 
that, and we know that at pagan temples, there's sexual immorality, have nothing to do with that garment. Have nothing to do with anything that was polluted by the ways of living of the pagans. And he says, he says, have nothing, he says um, also, have nothing to do uh, with things, uh, where is this? Have nothing to do with, have no contact with food that's been strangled, because that, of course, that would be an issue for the Jews. If you, you, if, uh, if you were to eat food that's been meat, that's been strangled, that's, a court, that's a, against Leviticus, and so you would not be able to interact with the Jews, so have nothing to do with that. And then he also says, uh, have nothing to do with things that are polluted by blood. So refrain from anything that's been polluted by blood. So food that has blood, from, blood in it, Refrain from it, because that food is going to cause your brothers to not interact with you. Or anything that really has been polluted by blood. Because you remember in Leviticus, we saw, when we look at Leviticus, that blood made somebody unclean. And so he's saying, for the purpose of ensuring that the interaction between them is maintained, have nothing to do with those, uh, with those things. These are just four uh, recommendations uh, that the, 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 the Gentiles, the Antiochian Gentiles, and all the other Gentiles should, uh, should observe. So James, with a masterstroke, solves both the problem of all the church together, with all the church together, he solves the problem of whether or not they can be accepted and how can they live now interacting with the Gentiles. By doing this, James creates a standard of Christian teaching that the council adopts and then sends not only to Antioch, but to many other churches of the Gentiles. So this letter that's going to be written and sent to the, 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 the church at Antioch also gets sent to all the other churches, uh, particularly in chapter 21 later as well. And it is interesting um, how Paul takes the standard that James talks about, and he modifies it and gives reasoning to it in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians chapters 8 to 10. So you can write this down and go study this yourself. You'll see there, because in Romans there was interaction between Jews and Gentiles, and in Corinth there was an interaction with Jews and Gentiles, and so Paul gives a lot of discussion about how Jews and Gentiles there can interact with each other, but he's taking what he's saying from this standard from the Council of Jerusalem. But then in those letters, he gives more information. He gives reasoning behind the standard. He says this standard was given purely to not hurt the conscience of other believers. So remember, if you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he says this, we know that idols are nothing, right? He says we have this knowledge, idols are nothing. There's no such thing as a demon. There's no such thing as an, uh, there's no such thing as Astarte. So I can eat meat. Meat is fine. Meat does nothing to me. It doesn't make me unclean. But because I have that knowledge, I must not now hurt the conscience of the one who is, who is affected by that meat. There are some who have, who are, whom he calls weaker brothers. And he's talking largely here about the Jews. Says that he calls them weaker brothers. They're still weak in their conscience. They do not have the knowledge that these things aren't actually things that matter. They don't actually understand that, uh, that a piece of pork does not make you unclean. They don't understand that. So because of your strength, Paul says, do not destroy the brother for whom Christ died. The standard that Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 8-10 to in Romans 14 about how we are to allow people 
those who, 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 so for example, if you think about the Sabbath, the Jews would, would, would want to meet on a Saturday, so don't make a big deal about it. The, 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 the new Christ, the Christian church chooses to meet from that time, chooses to meet on a Sunday to, to worship, to praise God for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, let, let them live. Let them, let them do what, let them look at the days that they're looking at and you keep to the day that you're keeping at and ensure that everybody is doing things to the worship and praise of God. Do not try and make each other to be to, to conform to one another, but rather consider the other person and consider how what you're doing affects them. This shows us that the standard that James puts forward here and that is adopted by the Council of Jerusalem is purely for the purpose of interaction between believers. And we can take this principle and apply it as well to us. Ensure, if it's not a moral matter... Okay? If it's not a moral matter, a clear moral matter from the moral law of God, ensure that what, that what you are doing does not hurt your fellow brother or sister. The way that you conduct yourself, the way that you ensure that it does not hurt your fellow brother or sister, especially if they have a weaker conscience. So you can't just say to them, so I'll give you an example. In, in most village churches, I'm a village boy, in most village churches that I've ever been in, particularly in KZN, I would imagine it's the same in other villages as well, but I'll just use a KZN as an example. You know that a Christian church is a Christian church by the lack of alcohol, right? Whenever they get together in the village, whenever they do anything, there's no alcohol anywhere because in the village, when there's drinking, there's drunkenness, right? And so the standard among the village, in the village church, they even preach it sometimes Stronger than the Bible allows. They say, if you drink, you're a sinner. But that's wrong. Is that correct? It's not correct. The Lord Jesus says, I came drinking and eating and you're calling me a drunkard. They don't realize what they're saying when they're telling people that they can't drink alcohol at all. They're calling the Lord Jesus a drunkard. But it's fine. You who has that knowledge, when you go visit in the village, please, Kosiam, oh, 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 please, don't go there and say, my Baptist pastor in Johannesburg said, we can have a glass. Oh, please, don't. Their consciences are sensitive. They have not understood. They, they have not understood the full meaning that the, the scripture prohibits drunkenness. They have not wrestled with the scriptures that say the Lord gives wine to make man's heart glad. They have not wrestled and understood that, and so they are weaker brothers. Don't go there with your Johannesburg knowledge and break their consciences and hurt them. Because what you will do, you will cause commotion for no reason. Please when you go to these weddings, when you go to these things, go there and have Sprite. You won't die. Please. That's just one example of how we can take the principle. But we can extend this principle um, even more. Well, here's the letter. So after Paul speaks this, after James says this, here's the letter that is written. Uh, the letter is, is very pastoral. The letter deals with those who came and preached this thing and say, as though 
they were given authority to preach it. Uh, the letter is very, they, the, it's, I love this letter because the content of this letter is coming from those who have authority, the elders and apostles in, in, uh, in Jerusalem, but they are coming softly with care for the saints at Antioch. Look at what they say from verse 23. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard some people have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no such instructions, they were not sent by us, it seemed good to us having come to an agreement to choose men and send them to you with our beloved brother Barnabas and Paul, those who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas to Judas and Silas are sent to come as a witness to this letter, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. It has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. Anything that has been polluted by these things, stay away from them. If you keep from yourselves from these, you will do well. Notice it doesn't say if you keep yourselves from these, you will be saved. Okay? Because the issue is interaction. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. And they send that letter. It is a wonderful letter. And look at who, verse 28, who was present at the council meeting? For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. The authority of this letter cannot be questioned because it comes from the Holy Spirit as he was working among the foundational leaders of the Christian church. So let's wrap it up. What do these things mean for you today? I have three applications for us and then we'll close. What, do these, what is this council, the ruling of this council that has been stamped by the Holy Spirit? What does it mean for you today? Number one. Hear me clearly. There is no Christian culture. Because the Gentiles were not required to be circumcised and to eat what the Jews eat and dress how the Jews dress, that means that Gentiles are necessarily supposed to find a way to live while honoring God in their own cultures. You follow? There is no Christian food. There is no Christian drink. There is no Christian music. There is no Christian art. There is no Christian mode of dress. There is no Christian way of getting married. These things should all be done by us to the glory of God in a manner that pleases God, in a manner that is morally upright, but there is no cultural... Cul 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 yo! Hey! No, it's your fault. No, I'll tell you why. You hired a Zulu guy from the village to be your pastor. That's what you get now. There is no cultural characteristics that are specific to these items. As long as these things, we do them in a manner that honors God and is morally upright. So if there are people who dress in nice flowy dresses that are from the Indian culture, amen, wonderful. If, they have, if, they, if the Indians want to have a wedding that's seven days long, wonderful. If, the, if, if you want to have a white dress, wonderful. 
If you, want, if you get married just at the lobola, as long as it's done in a manner that is upright, in a manner that is pleasing to God, there is no Christian culture. Because the, Jew, because the Gentiles were not made to subscribe to the way of living of the Jews. Secondly, uh, Christian doctrine is settled at the early church. And I mean this. Anybody who contradicts what the, what the early church said here is a heretic. If someone says that I will not eat pork because I'm a Christian, you're, you're, you're speaking heresy. If somebody says I will not, uh, you know, I, I will not do something, uh, I will not dress in a, in, a, in, a, in a manner that is not described in Leviticus, or if somebody says that I'm... I, anything like that, anybody who comes and, and takes you to the Old Testament and says, change the way that you live and live in accordance with the Old Testament, that person is a heretic. There's no revelation from God. Paul said that anyone who comes to you preaching a different gospel, let that person be accursed. Even if an angel from heaven comes and talks to Ellen G. White and tells her everybody must worship on a Saturday and everybody must do all of these specific things, it's a lie and it's accursed. The doctrine that Christians have received must be protected by us at all costs because this is what is received because we all confess we are saved only by grace. We must protect it. Do not allow anybody to come and confuse you by taking you to the old covenant and making you live that way. Don't even allow it. Don't let the mother God people, don't let anybody tell them to their faces, you are a heretic, you are accursed, and unless you repent, judgment will come upon you. I'm being serious. If they are preaching it and promulgating a message that's taking people to the old covenant, when the church and the sealed by the Holy Spirit of God has spoken decisively on this matter, they are heretics. And they need to be called that and need to be told that. And there's another sub-point to learn here, especially to you guys, because you love to interpret the Bible. And, and some of you might think that when you're coming across a passage, you might think that you're the first person to encounter this and see this wonderful new thing. Let me tell you something. The Lord has worked for 2,000 years in the Christian church. It is incredibly arrogant to believe that you will create doctrines of your own. When you come to a passage in the scripture, don't assume that you're going to discover the meaning of it. That you're going to have some kind of amazing revelation. No, go back. The Lord has been working. Go back, check yourself what, ha what was decided? What has the Spirit of God said in history uh, according to this passage? Don't just assume that you will come with something brand new. We always have to submit ourselves to what has been delivered. The faith has once and for all been delivered. Paul says this, and I say this strongly because Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 36. He says this, Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones that it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I, as Paul, the apostle of the Lord, am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize what I am saying, he also is not rec recognized. Did you hear that? Paul is saying that if you don't submit to him as an apostle of the Lord, you will not be recognized. 
Your doctrine must align with Paul's, must align with Peter's, must align with the early church's doctrine. And finally, I won't, I won't read the following passage. In the following passage, in verse 30, there is, there is a, a joyous reception. You see there in verse 31, when the letter arrived, they, they, they read it and they rejoiced because of its encouragement. There is a final point for us here, and I was thinking about this one, especially this week, as I was in the hospital with, with uh, Philip and Matlow, as uh, Letabo was passing away. What does this council's ruling mean to you in all the joys and sorrows, in all the ups and downs of life? If you've lost a loved one, like the Clausens recently lost their sister, or if you have gone through something recently, what does, this, what does this passage have to mean to you? If you are going through hardships or going through wonderful times, does this passage have anything to say to you? It does. It means, be, because even though you are a Gentile, you are loved by God. In your state, as a Gentile, if you just hold on in faith to him, that's it. Trust him. Believe in him. That's all. There's, no thing, there's nothing for you to, up, to jump onto. You are loved by God, and what the promises that are in the Scripture are for you. Even this is working. Long-term anxiety, whatever it is, whether it's acute, like the horrific loss of someone, or it's a, a steady hardship, a steady struggling struggle with life, what does this counsel mean to you? It means this. Nothing shall separate you from the love of God. You are loved because of Jesus Christ and Him alone. And even this is working good for you. God has not left you alone. God has not forsaken you. It is not because of your cultural practices or your sins in the past or whatever that this thing is occurring to you. No. God loves you, he is aware of what you're going through, and he is doing something good in it. Do never believe that because of your circumstances, you are being separated from the love of God. God loves you because of Christ. So let me say this to us all. How is a person saved? We are all saved by grace, through faith, in Jesus Christ and him alone. If you have not bowed the knee and repent, today is the day of salvation. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, when we read the burden of the old covenant, we see how burdensome it was. Indeed, it was a covenant of works. And we're so thankful, Lord, that we have been engrafted into the fullness of the covenant of grace that we are in Christ and we rely entirely on what he has done. Lord, we pray that we do not scorn this grace that you have given us. As Paul says, shall we sin so that grace may abound more? Absolutely not. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to walk in a manner that pleases you, even as we walk in our differing ways. Help us to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling that which we have received. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.